Thank you. Thank you, Bob and Lauren. And for that fellow who's got a good straight eye to get me up this ramp without falling off the edge. <laughs> they were saying they had a guy who was cross-eyed who was going to be helping me up here. And I said, no, please. <laughs> I checked his driver's license first, so he's good. Uh, it's a real privilege to be with you folks here today. Um, Karen and I are just on the tail end of our furlough. Uh, we've been serving the Lord in Botswana for 20 years, and uh, the last three years we were in South Africa, and uh, we were on a we're on a year-long furlough, and uh, we started in Miami. We worked our way up New Jersey, up to Ontario, did the maritime provinces, and then uh, we crossed over into uh, British Columbia, Alberta, British Columbia, and uh, head south now. Nice to have the warm weather again get us prepared for Cape Town, and, uh, and when we fly out of Miami again, February 28th. So we appreciate your prayers and all these long distances. Uh, tonight, God willing, uh, if you're free and able to come tonight, I'm going to be giving a report on Botswana and South Africa. I think you'll find it very interesting, and um, even if you have young kids, bring them along, because uh, I've got some pictures of animals and things like that they'll enjoy to see as well. So uh, that's tonight uh, at the evening meeting. Now, this morning, what I have on my mind, um, I'm actually thinking of, uh, of really these young guys. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here. I put crazy glue on those front pews. You sit there. You're not going anywhere. And uh, I've really got in mind these, uh, the young guys today, the young ladies, young, young men today who are going to colleges and universities and uh, I remember what I, when I was like, when I was your age, and uh, man, we had it tough then, but I don't think we had it anywhere near as tough as what you guys are going through here. Just society in general, how it is so opposed to the Christian message, um, from Hollywood to the media to our colleges and universities, the Christian message is attacked on every, on every front. And uh, Christians are often thought of as being People are completely uh, unsensible, illogical, unscientific, etc., etc. And uh, choosing the Christian lifestyle is something that is very uh, narrow-minded. And, uh, and uh, in the world we live in today, what's the big buzzword? That's, is we, we're supposed to be tolerant. We're in a tolerant society. And it sounds really good on the outside, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, we want to be a tolerant, compassionate society and, and give way for different opinions. That all sounds really good. But the trouble is, it, the, the world is, is tolerant of everything except the Christian message. And uh, today I just want to bring a couple of things across to you that has been an attack on our faith from a long, long time ago. And the very first time I came in contact with this, when I was, uh, I was about 22, and I was, uh, I'd just been transferred to mile 40 of the Alaska Highway to a place called Fort St. John, British Columbia. Um, I was a single guy, and uh, the assembly was in a place called Dawson Creek. And so being 45 miles away, uh, I, you know, I, I was pretty much on my own in, in Fort St. John at the time. And I thought, what am I going to do from Sunday to Sunday? Um, uh, Sundays I went to Dawson Creek, but during the week, what am I going to do? And I thought, I'm going to start a kids' club where, um, 
where we're going to be able to, uh, I'll have some sporting events, something like that, and then I can just share my faith with these young people and uh, teach from the Bible and that sort of thing. So I thought, where, where can I do this? So I thought, you know what, I, I need to, maybe I can get a school or a gymnasium and uh, use that as a venue. So uh, there was a school just down the road from my house, and uh, I, I made an appointment to be with the, the principal of the school. And um, uh, I got into his office, and right away, this guy was looking over his glasses at me, and uh, I could tell right away I, hadn't, I didn't have a friend on the other side of that desk. And, um, and he says, so uh, what do you want to do? And I says, well, we, we would like to um, have a little Bible club and do some you know, activities, games, sports, and then we're going to teach from the Bible. He says, oh... Um, he says, you wouldn't be one of those guys that believed in hell, do you? I says, well, uh, yeah, I guess I am. I do believe in hell. He says, you know what? I'm not going to give you a classroom or a gym, and, and I really don't want to have any more time with you. Uh, I don't believe the message that you're preaching is of any value, and I just don't believe that a God of love could ever send anybody to hell. So just take your stuff and get out of here. And basically, I was chased out of his office. Young Christian walked out of his office with my tail between my legs, and, and I began to think, you know, really, how do I handle situations like this? And do I really believe in a God that would just willy-nilly cast people into hell? How do we as Christians understand that argument? And, and that argument has been, has been brought to us many, many times over history and Oftentimes people say, well, what about the heathen? And that's often a very good argument that these, these folks would like to have with us. But the question this morning that I want to bring to you and to me is this. How can a God of love send somebody who has never heard about Jesus to a place called hell? Now that's a serious question. And we as believers need to have an accurate answer for this type of question. Because this is what is holding back a lot of people. They have a wrong idea of what God is like. And they have a wrong idea of where man is, uh, the heathen in particular. And so we're going to talk about that uh, this morning. Now we're going to read some verses from the book of Romans chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can turn with me. Romans chapter 1. If you don't, you can read it from the front. And I'm an old-fashioned guy. I read from the King James, same version the Apostle Paul read out of. So we're going to stick to that. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, and uh, we'll look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now we trust that God will bless his precious word to us as we think about it this morning. Now before we handle this question, I want us to look at two anchors that are precious to us who are believers. And if you're not a believer here this morning, this is something you don't enjoy yet. But there are two anchors that you and I as believers hold on to. And I want to just bring those two anchors to the forefront before we handle this question. And the first thing is this. The God that is presented in our Bibles is an absolutely just God. The God that is presented in our Bibles only does that which is righteous, what is just, and what is fair. The assumption that God is unjust by this accusation that the world has thrown up to us is completely wrong. Let's just hold on to this, that the God that you and I believe in is absolutely just. He only does that which is righteous, and He only does that which is fair. Now, it's easy to say that, but oftentimes there are little things that happen in life, and we find that, that, that that's a challenge to us. Let me give you an example. How do you explain a child that is born with a disease that's not going to allow it to live for very long? Where is God when it comes to things like that? How do we answer questions like that? Is God still just? We have to agree, don't we? We have to hold on to that absolute anchor and the pillar of our Christian faith that even though we don't understand all the circumstances and the details of suffering of different individuals, we can hold on to one thing. We don't understand this, but we do understand this. The God that we believe in, the God that's presented in the Bible is absolutely just, and He's righteous, and He only does that which is fair. Now, for a Christian, this is a tremendous truth for you and I to hold on to, because I want us just to understand that Christians aren't immune to difficulties. Isn't that right? This whole nonsense of the prosperity gospel, that if you give your heart to Christ, if you believe in Jesus, all your problems are over. You're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be happy. It just isn't like that, folks. And I would love to take all these preachers who preach this and send them up to northern Iraq, and now you preach that to those people. And see if these Christians who are afraid whether they're actually going to make it through the day, tell them that message. And you know what, folks? It doesn't line up with the Scriptures. Difficulties are going to cross the path of everyone. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. But the blessing is this for the Christian, is that we have the confidence to know that there is nothing going to cross my path that God hasn't first put His approval on. Isn't that good? There's no mistakes with God. And even though some of the difficulties that some of us as believers have been asked to go through, we can rest assured that He is still on the throne. There are no mistakes. He's an absolute just God. I don't have all the answers, but I do know one thing. He is righteous. He is fair. He is just. The, uh, Abraham, the patriarch Abraham, when he was... Uh, 
when he was interceding for the, for the city of Sodom, do you remember what he said? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the question doesn't need an answer. It's inferred. Absolutely yes. The God that you and I believe in, let's, let's remind ourselves of that, is absolutely just and will never ever behave in a way that will incriminate him, that will ever deviate from his kindness and from the fact that he is fair and just and righteous. So that's the first thing. The second anchor is this. In this era of tolerance... When the Christian says that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, we are thought of as being an absolute nutcase and a bigot. But I want us just to remind ourselves that Jesus said these words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except by me. Now those were some of the simplest words that the Lord could have used when he was walking upon this scene many, many years ago. He used the simplest language that even a little child could understand. And the simplest language was this, I am the only way, and you can't get to heaven, you can't come to the Father except by me. I'm the only way. Now let's just remember that. Unfortunately, some evangelicals have crumbled on this idea. Joel Osteen, the other day, I was watching a a video on YouTube of, of that dear man, unfortunately, being hammered by, by Larry King. And the guy crumbled, absolutely crumbled. When, when he was said, Larry asked him, now listen, are you saying that Jesus is the only way? What about the atheists? And, and he just, well, I don't know, I, I don't know, and I don't know. That was basically his answer. He didn't know. There's no reason for that. Jesus made it very clear. He is the only way. That means Islam is not the way to heaven. That means all the other religions are wrong. Now, that's, does that sound exclusive? Absolutely. But that's what the Bible teaches. And let's remind ourselves of what the Scriptures teach. And there's no misunderstanding either because Peter preached the same thing. He said this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way for you and I to be saved and for all the world to be saved. He is the Son of God who left heaven and came to this earth and He gave His, his life for the whole world. And He's the only way of salvation today. Is that exclusive? Is that intolerant? Absolutely. And I'm happy to be so. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You see, when it comes to certain things we can be tolerant. Okay, listen, if you like a blue tie or uh, green socks, go with it, brother. I'm happy with you. But, but tell you this, one plus one equals two. And I don't care what country you come from or what language you speak, that's a truth that does not change. And Jesus is one of these truths that does not change. He is the answer to man's need. The only answer is the person of Jesus Christ in the preaching of his name. Now let's get into our subject this morning. We've got these two anchors. Now look at this. This is how I want to handle this subject this morning. The, re, the revelation factor is what we're going to talk about first of all. And the revelation factor is this. All men have some light. It doesn't matter what you, where you come from. It doesn't matter what level of um, development the society you have come from. It doesn't matter 
your culture. It doesn't matter what era you've come from. It doesn't matter how, how many years ago we're talking about. All men have some light. Now, the Apostle Paul presents that to us in the book of Romans chapter 1, and he actually almost approaches it like a, a prosecuting attorney, and this is sort of like the courtroom of heaven, and, and, and God is a judge, and in the, in the dock are, are the heathen, the people who have never heard about salvation, never heard about Jesus Christ, and, and they're asked now, how do you plead? And the heathen say this, we're not guilty. We have never heard. How can we be held responsible to, to believe in a God we've never heard preached to us, we haven't read a Bible, we've never heard a missionary, we have no contact with that. We are in darkness, we have never had light, we don't know, we're, we're innocent on that grounds. And the Apostle Paul says, now hold on, hold on here. Let me just call a witness here. And the first witness that he calls to the stand is found in verse um, 19 and 20 of our, of our reading. Let me just read it again to you here. It says this, because that, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them, and here it is, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know what? Paul's first witness to the stand is what we know of as creation. And what Paul is saying here is that all men everywhere in the world, regardless of where you live, has some light. Why? Because you live in a created universe. You live on the earth that has been created. You are a body that was created. And it is through this creation, this tremendous a world of creation around us that God is screaming out to the heathen, I am there. I am there. Look, I'm here. You can see signs of me everywhere in the world. You see, there is no such thing as someone who is in absolute darkness. All men everywhere has some light. Even the bushman in the middle of the Kalahari Desert, where I come from, who may have had no contact with, with the Western world, he has light. And he looks into the world of the animals, and he looks into the stars, and, and, he, and he knows that there's got to be something out there that made this. I don't know what it is. I don't know who he is or who they are, but he knows that something outside of himself has created everything that's around about him. So all men have some light. Creation. What a wonderful thing, you know. Um, my son, I have, three, I have three boys. My middle son, um, when we left Botswana, we brought him back to Canada to get him into university. Young man, great fella. Um, uh, an intelligent guy, in fellowship, participated in many of the meetings, helped out in so much of the things of the Lord. We got him into university, and uh, after about two years, I could see his, he was starting to crumble. One time, we were on furlough, and we were visiting with him, and he said, Dad, can you can you come over? We're going to do a little wood project together. And he, he had a bed. He had a mattress. He wanted to make a bed. So he went to Home Depot and bought the lumber. We're going to put a little thing together. And I was sitting in his, uh, in his dorm room, and I was looking at his bookshelf. And uh, I was looking for a Bible. 
I was looking for his Bible. I didn't see it anymore. And what I saw on the bookshelf was The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. And today, this young man claims to be an atheist. He has been attacked by the evil one and is a victim, like many, many other young men and young women in the world we live in today who who have embraced the Christian faith and because of the attacks and not being prepared have fallen. You can pray for Jonathan that he would restore to the Lord. I want us just to think of the tremendous, tremendous testimony that creation is of God. And yet, these so-called brainiacs have told us it all came out by some cosmic explosion. And, you know, I'm not an educated guy. I, I, I never went to college or university. I'm just a simple guy. But, but you know what? That does not make any sense whatsoever. You know, I started to do a little bit of building in Botswana. And I started to enjoy and appreciate the, the um, designing a building, seeing it come together. And, and I got to admire things. And, and, you know, when I go to an office tower now, if I look at an office tower, a huge office tower, and I look at that and I think, you know what? I admire the engineers and the architects that put that thing together. You think about it, it's, it's, it's functional. It makes sense because there's different floors to utilize the space. There's passageways to make it easier for people to get around. It's got an air conditioning system in California and in Canada. It's got a heating system and maybe both. And you, and you know, it's functional and it looks nice. And when I see that, I admire the engineers that put that thing together. Now, what would you say if I told you that there are some people that believe this? Well, you know, a long time ago, there was a cement factory here, and it blew up. And it ignited the steel mill next door, and it also blew up, and bada-boom, bada-bing, office tower. (laughs) Now, uh, you and I think, oh, come on. Let's get real here. That can't possibly be true. But you know what? That is what the academia want us to believe actually happened with something far more complex than an office tower. There's more complexity in my eyeball than an office tower. And yet we would be lunatics to think that an office tower came about by a surprise explosion. How much more lunacy is it to think that this tremendous, wonderful world came about as a cosmic explosion? It's nuts. You see, God has a tremendous witness out there in creation that is streaming out to the heathen and to the people in America. God says, I am here. Look at me. And Paul calls a second witness to the stand. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Just look there for a moment. It says this. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law... Do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, 
their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Paul's second witness to the stand is what we know and what the King James calls as the conscience. You see, this has become a big problem to evolutionists because they have a, they have a hard time dealing with the guilt that humanity seems to bear all the time. And it is this. God has woven into the fabric of every human being His law. He's written it on their hearts. That's what He's done. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, you can go to the remotest jungles in the world, and they have done this. They have found tribes who have had no contact whatsoever to the Christian message, to our sense of morals. They have no uh, contact with the Western world, with any outside their own little village. And when these people have been discovered, you know what surprises a lot of these people who have discovered them? Is that, you know what? These guys seem to have rules here. They seem to have figured out that it's wrong to kill. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to, to take another man's woman. Now, who told them that? God told them. He wrote it on their heart. And you see, the idea that the heathen are running around in grass skirts only too willing to believe in God if He'd only been preached to them is absolute nonsense because God has given them light. All men everywhere has some light through creation and through conscience. Now let's move on here to the next point. The refusal factor. Light refused increases darkness. Light refused increases darkness. Now, this is the, the, the sad thing about my message this morning. We're going to get into some good news in a moment, but the bad news is this. God is under no obligation to give you more light if you're rejecting the light that you have. That's basically what this point is all about. Light refused increases darkness. And, I, and this is something that doesn't just apply to people who aren't saved, okay? This applies to us who are believers. So if you're a Christian here today and you think you're going to get out of this without being scarred, remember this. God hasn't promised to give you more light if you're not obeying the light you already have, right? If I'm talking to some young person today and you're thinking of possibly entering into a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian, and you know that to be not right, and you go ahead and do it, man, I've got a host of stories to tell you of people who have done that and have made, and, 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 and to this day, are so upset that they made the wrong choice. Light refused increases darkness. If we turn our back on what God has already enlightened us with, He is under no obligation to give us more light. In fact, you know what? There's actually a judicial blindness that follows those who are determined to turn away from the light of God's truth. Let me give you two examples. The first one's in the book of Exodus. Don't turn to it. You'll know the story. It was about a man who was the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he was given light through a messenger called Moses. And the message was this from Moses. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go. That's what Moses said to to, to, to Pharaoh. What did Pharaoh respond to that? <laughs> it was the Lord that I should obey his voice. I don't know him. Forget it. 
get out of here. I'm going to make things more tough on you guys. That's what we're going to do. And you know what? He hardened his heart, didn't he? But then as you read through the story, you come across an interesting phrase, and it goes like this. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Whoa, how do you handle that? Does God just willy-nilly harden people's hearts and send them down to hell because that's the way he chose things? No. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He turned away from the truth that God had given to him. And God says, listen, boy, you go that direction, and, and, and this is what's going to happen. And it's not long before God hardened Pharaoh's heart to bring about a tremendous, glorious uh, uh, rescue of the children of Israel. But you see what happens. If we are determined to turn away from the light that we have, we must be prepared for the baggage that's going to come along with it. Second Thessalonians is another example of this. The Apostle Paul is referring to a period of time in the future, I believe it to be probably uh, post-rapture, after the Lord has, uh, has come back, and, and there are people who are ushered into this tribulation period who have turned their back on the gospel. They've had their pleasure in unrighteousness, and, and, and Paul says this, and it's a very strange thing. Just listen to these words. 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2, he says this, verse 9, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Whoa. But listen, God gave them the opportunity. He wanted them to be saved. He gave them the light. And what does it say? Is that they, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And, and it says that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These are the people who are, are facing this sort of thing. The refusal factor, light refused, increases darkness. Now let's get into some good news. Light obeyed increases light. Light obeyed increases light. Now you know what? The old preachers used to come up with these little sayings, okay? Some of them were really silly, but this isn't one of them. A seeking sinner and a seeking savior will always meet. A seeking sinner and a seeking Savior will always meet. I'm simple enough to believe this, that God loves the world, but he loves individuals. And when he sees an individual who needs to be saved and who wants to be saved, who's asking questions and has responded to, to the light of creation and conscience and is looking for answers and he's crying out to God for answers, I believe God will send an answer to that person. And it might be some crazy, miraculous way. It could be a bushman in the Kalahari Desert. And there's a missionary in an airplane flying overhead and, and he encounters engine trouble. And he has to land on the Makati pads and he comes out of the aircraft and he comes face to face with a bushman that's been asking questions. Do you believe that could happen? I believe that. I heard a story the other day. Now you're going you're gonna to find this hard to believe. We were up in a conference in Peterborough, Ontario, a missionary conference. 
there was a man who had told us a story of what, of what had taken place in Russia recently. The gospel had come to this village in Russia, and this particular home, some of the members had gotten saved. There was a young man in the home who was fighting it. He didn't believe in it. And he was upset that some of his members had become Christians. And he stormed out of the house one winter evening, or one winter's day. He got on his dog sled and started heading out. And he stopped his sled and he cried out to God. He said, God, if you're there, can you please answer me, reveal yourself to me? And all of a sudden he hears a thud behind him and he, he looks in the sled. There's a Bible. Fell right out of the sky. He picks his Bible up and he responds, he just, he trusted Christ. Now, you're thinking, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. Don't tell stories like that. Let me finish the story. Some months later, he's telling his testimony to some other people. And another man has overheard what he's saying. And he says, sorry, could, could you just repeat that again? And he says, yeah. And he tells, was that at such and such a place? He says, yeah. At, at such and such a time? He goes, yeah. He says, you're not going to believe this. I was in a helicopter overhead. I was talking to a man about, about his soul. And he got so angry with me, he grabbed my Bible and threw it out the window. <laughs> and it landed in this guy's sled. Can you believe that? Now, is that biblical? Come on. It's biblical. Acts chapter 8. Let's look there for a minute. Acts chapter 8. I'll prove it to you. I don't want any hesitation on this. This is absolutely clear. This is how the Lord works. And the tremendous thing, and if you're uh, wanting to serve the Lord here today, I want to just excite you with this because, you know, God could save people without us, but He has chosen to use you. He's chosen to use me. Look at Acts chapter 8. Look at this. This is so exciting. Look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord, Acts 8, 26, And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Now let's just stop here. This is the first record of an African. It's the first African Christian right here, as far as we know. But the story behind this is this. He's from Ethiopia. And somehow, he had lots of questions. Through creation or conscience, there was something stirred within his heart that he did not find the answers to in his culture, in his religion, in his 
elders in his family. He did not have the answers. And it was gnawing at his soul. And he wanted to find the answers to these questions. Now he'd heard about the Jews. He'd heard about the God of the Jews. And he thinks, okay, I'm going there. I'm going to go find out what's going on. So he goes to Jerusalem. And it was probably a, a feast day. And he participated in some of the worship that goes on in that wonderful city of Jerusalem. And as he is seeking answers, he comes across a person who's selling portions of the Bible. And he bought a scroll of the book, what we know, the book of Isaiah. And now he's heading back home. He's got more light. He's been seeking light. God has given him more light. And he's still looking for more light. And he's asking for answers. And you know what? A seeking sinner and a seeking saver always meet. God had his eye on him. And he called Philip the evangelist, who was in the midst of a great revival, okay? There were hundreds of people trusting Christ through the ministry of Philip, and yet God had his eye on this little African guy in the middle of the desert. Now just think of the circumstances that had to come together for these two guys to meet, because uh, listen, that's a big desert, and there's just two people. How is this going to happen? And, and, and so Philip just says, okay, I'm, I'll go. I'll just, I don't understand. I don't know all the answers how we're going to meet, but I'm going to go. And he goes, and somehow, miraculously, they meet together. And just so happened, as Philip approached him, that this guy decides, I'm going to have a rest. So he stops. He decides to get it, and he's sitting up in his chariot, and it just so happens, I'm going to read from that book I bought. And it just so happens he's reading from where? Isaiah 53? I mean, honestly, uh, what, what, uh, what circumstances had to come together? And, and, and there, Philip, he comes to this guy, and they think, oh, this must be him. And he says, um, do you understand what you're reading? He says, oh, no, man. Can you help me? He says, gladly. Sits up in the chariot with him. And the scripture they read together. And it says that Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus. He preached unto him that same message. And the man trusted in Christ. What a fantastic story. I mean, this beats Bibles falling out of helicopters, I think. This is even far better than that. I mean, just think about it, my friend, this morning. That God brought these two individuals together so that somebody could be on their way to heaven. And you know what? I'm simple enough to believe that you're not here by an accident this morning, and neither am I. And I might be speaking to someone who has had these questions themselves. You've tried to listen to the arguments that the world has given, but you find they haven't brought peace to the soul. Questions still linger. What's, what's right? What's wrong? How do I know what is right and wrong? What is truth? How do I know the answers to these questions? Is there life beyond the grave? Am I going to know these things? Is there a place called hell? Is there a place called heaven? I have many questions, and the world can't help me. But I want to tell you this morning that your answers are all found in a person, in Jesus Christ. 
And he is the one that can save you and make you fit for heaven. You know all that guilt that you bear on your shoulders? The burden of shame? Those things that trouble you at nighttime? Those things that you feel bad about? He can take those things away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he was punished for your sins. And we serve a just and a fair God, and he will not demand a judgment paid twice. He's paid it through his son, and now you can go free this morning because of what Christ did on the cross. What wonderful news, my friend. No other religion comes close to this. This is a personal relationship through Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. The reception factor, light obeyed increases light. And we're going to close with this last point. The fourth factor is the reckoning factor. God will judge us by the light we've rejected. Now, I find this to be actually very, very solemn. When you think of the privilege that so many people have had on this side of the world of hearing the gospel, America, Canada, my word, I would not want to be in somebody's unsaved shoes going to judgment having been raised in this country. Just think of the light that this country has been blessed with, what, what Canada has been blessed with. Just, I mean, I, I, I was, the other day I was looking at, uh, what do you call it, Near Me or something. On a, it's an app on your iPhone. I was trying to find a restaurant. I thought, let me just do churches and boom, 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 all around where I was. Dozens of them. Turn on the radio and every second channel is a Christian broadcast. And you know what? We've been blessed here. But, you know, we're going to be held accountable. And not only we as a nation and individuals, but I'm thinking even closer now. I'm thinking of the smaller units. I'm thinking of Christian homes. I'm thinking of young Christian children. I'm thinking of children who aren't Christians, who've been raised in a Christian home, who have had the privilege of a mom and dad who prayed for them before they were even born, who have had the gospel you know, fed to them right from the very beginning and, and the nurture of a Christian loving uh, Christian church as well. And, and you know what? These are serious things that we're going to be held accountable with. The Lord Jesus, he, he said these words one time. When he was referring to the city of Capernaum, you remember Capernaum was the town that the Lord had moved to with his disciples in his ministry. And talk about responsibility and accountability. Think of Capernaum, that town. They, they witnessed it all. They, they, they saw the Lord. They heard firsthand His messages. They saw firsthand Him touching the leper. They saw His tremendous miracles. They, saw, they, they, they knew it all. They've seen it all. Blessed incredibly with light. And, and Jesus, he said these words. He said, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Now we know what Sodom was famous for. And we know it was a morally evil, wicked city. But Jesus said this, you know what? 
even though Capernaum wasn't morally as evil, they're actually going to be sink further in hell than Sodom will. Because if the light and the truth and the blessings and the miracles that Sodom had received had been done in, 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 in uh, that Capernaum had received had been done in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. You see, we are held accountable for the light that we have. And you know, the question, the bigger question is this, not what God do with a heathen, but the question is this for you and I this morning as we close. What will God do with those who have heard? You see, you and I are an incredibly blessed but incredibly responsible people. And we would do well to pay earnest heed to this tremendous truth today that God will hold me responsible for what we have learned and what we've heard. And today, if you're not saved, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And I, and I would just invite you to, to quietly open your heart to the Lord. And as I pray, you can pray and just ask the Lord to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins because he's bled on the cross, he's been risen from the dead, and he's seated in heaven today, but he's also here in spirit. And he wants to receive you. He wants you to make you a child of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we humble ourselves in your presence this morning just to thank you afresh for the Lord Jesus. We're so thankful, Father, that you sent him into the world to redeem man. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you are just and you only do that which is right. And you would love to save everybody in the world, but you have given us this tremendous power of being able to choose. And we pray, Father, this morning that you would work in the hearts of those that aren't saved here. We pray, Father, that they would come to make that decision, that they would turn a deaf ear to the lies of the world, and that they would open their hearts to Christ and his truth. Father, we do thank you for your word, for its sense, and for its right. And we pray, Lord, to help us to obey it and to practice it. We think of the believers that are here today, Lord. We all need to be challenged and encouraged. Lord, we live in such an evil world, and we can hardly wait till the Prince of Peace is seated on this throne and this whole world is subject to him. Lord, we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Lord, we know that we're in the business of seeing mankind redeemed, and we pray, Lord, that thou would just lift up our hearts to look on the fields that they're white and ready to harvest. Bless us today, we pray, as we give thanks to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.